0: Now, let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, we are in our verse-by-verse study here of the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there. And if, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back there for you. Please feel free to grab one of those. That's our gift to you. As you turn there, let me review from last Sunday We dived deep into the the pool with the Lord's Supper, and Jesus taught the disciples really how the Passover, it pointed to Him as the Lamb that would be slain. We learned how the bread and the wine are symbols. And by the way, did you know that those symbols actually began before the Exodus? I was reading in my quiet time just a few days ago through Genesis chapter 14, and those symbols he brings out those symbols with Abram. And I thought, how cool is this? The Word of God, I tell you, it's just its so, so fun. So, it didn't really start with the Exodus, it started in Genesis chapter 14. So, that's super fun. So, the bread, yes, the bread represents the maimed, the scarred, the broken body of Jesus, the wine representing His blood, that had to be shed to satisfy God the Father's wrath for our sin and that satisfaction is called propitiation. And, and we, we then celebrated the Lord's Supper together as a reminder of, of who Jesus who He is, He's the Lamb of God, and he takes away the sin of the world. The Lord's Supper, it's also a reminder of what Jesus has done and, and he, what he did is he endured uh, the judgment of God for our sin. On our behalf. So, in other words, Jesus took your place. Jesus took your place. Why did Jesus step in and endure the wrath of God on your behalf? Well, he did it so you could have peace with God the Father, and then you can enjoy the presence of Jesus for all eternity. And so we ended last week's lesson with verses 25 and 26 of of Mark chapter 14. Jesus says, truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, even though it looked like Jesus and the 11 disciples at that point uh, left the meal and they were headed out to the Mount of Olives, uh, we learn from John's gospel that Jesus continued to teach. Now, the Gospels, they they don't contradict one another. Keep in mind that we got to incorporate all of them to to understand the the whole story. Um, Each Gospel writer has a different theme, he has a different audience also for writing. They all have the same message. Uh, Each author was divinely inspired to write as well. But really, each writer had a different audience and a different specific purpose for writing. So when you start placing all of these Gospels together, you really, you really see the life of Jesus in high definition, right? The, all four Gospels, they are complementary, they are not contradictory. Um, so, in other words, God's Word is not one-dimensional, it's, uh, it's not flat, it's not boring, right? It's 3D. So, God's Word really is a, it's, it's a revelation about a person, and that person is Jesus. So, Mark's audience was the Romans, And the Romans liked action. And that's why we're moving so quickly, it feels like, through this gospel. It's almost an abbreviated version of Jesus' life. So, all that to say this. And that is, we've got several things that happened last week that we did not cover because Mark didn't include them. So, let me back up just a little bit before we jump into today's text. This is going to take me a few minutes, so, so hang in there with me. So, from last week, Jesus says this in verse 25. He says, Truly I I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So, this statement from Jesus upset the disciples. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus now moves from this statement really into a time of extended teaching. Uh, Keep in mind that this is the last time that Jesus will formally teach His disciples so Jesus, he sees that the, the disciples, they are upset, and he starts to comfort them in John chapter 14, verses one through four. He says, "Don't let your heart be troubled." He goes on and, and says a lot more about that. Jesus then goes on, He tells the disciples about the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, "I will ask the Father, He will give you another counselor to be with you forever." So Jesus teaches them about the Holy Spirit. Jesus continues, and then he gives the uh, the disciples an analogy of the vine and the branches in John chapter fifteen. He says, "I'm the vine; you guys are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit. And remember, you can't do anything without me. Nothing, nada, not a thing." He tells them that the world will hate them in John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, understand it hated me first before it hated you guys. And if, by the way, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but you're not of the world because I've chosen you out of it. So the world hates you. You, have, you guys have to understand that. So that message didn't go over well at all. So, Jesus comforts the disciples once again. He goes back to more teaching on the Holy Spirit. In John 16, He says, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. So, Jesus goes on. He tells them about His death and His resurrection once again and how their sadness will be turned to joy. In John chapter 16, He says, truly I tell you, you're going to weep and you're going to mourn, but the world will rejoice You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Jesus then prays for himself in in what's called the high priestly prayer in John 17. He says, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus goes on to pray for the disciples. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you've given to me because they're yours. Um. He says, I've given them your word. I've fed them your word. And I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but I do pray that you protect them. You protect them from the evil one. And then Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for his church. He says, I I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So Jesus prays for you at that moment. He says their word, the disciples' word, because they, they wrote everything down. That's what we're studying here with the, with the Gospel of Mark. And then Jesus says this in John 18, He says, after Jesus had said all of these things, so all of that time with the uh, extended teaching there, He went out with His disciples to the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, and He and His disciples went into it. So that's where we, that's where we ended up with Mark last week. Um, Verse 26, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I mentioned last week most likely this hymn. So after the dinner, after this time of extended teaching, now they're going to worship. This worship, it probably came from Psalm 118 or or maybe Psalm 136. It's called a Hallel Psalm. It means to praise the Lord. It's where we get our word Hallelujah from. And the chorus goes like this, his faithful love endures forever. All through the psalm, his faithful love endures forever. So just imagine Jesus saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And the, and the disciples saying, his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his faithful love endures forever. And that's what they sang for 20 some odd verses. So it's only after the the disciples they sang this refrain that we come to our text today. Now, why is all of that important for today? Well, because Jesus is getting ready to drop another bomb on them. What's the bomb today? Well, let's find out. If you would please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away, because it's written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter said, Well, even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. But he kept insisting. He says, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then they all said the same thing. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes that we are to pursue your commands because you broaden our understanding. So Lord God, we are here this morning to pursue Your commands. Thank You, Lord God, for open Bibles, and we do pray that You would broaden our understanding this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 27. Jesus said to them, all of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So, notice that word all there. It means every disciple. Every single disciple is going to desert Jesus. Why? Because Jesus says, because it's written. See, Jesus, He knows His Old Testament. He has no doubt that the disciples, all of these men that He poured His life into, these, all these men, that are, that they're going to turn the world upside down. Acts seventeen six. They're all going to turn away from Him in just a few short hours. Jesus then provides His his proof text here for the disciples from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7. So this really this is a paraphrase from um, Zechariah here what Jesus is saying. Zechariah says this, he says, sword awake against my shepherd, against the man who is my associate. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. So this is a significant verse, so let's spend some time here. Uh, let's start with the very first sentence. Sword awake against my shepherd. Hmm, I'm not sure I like the sound of that at all. The the sword here is a picture of God's judgment against the shepherd. It emphasizes really the violent nature of Jesus' death as the Good Shepherd. So he goes on to say, against the man who is my associate. So by quoting Zechariah, Jesus is doing a couple things here. Number one, he's emphasizing that as the Messiah, he is both truly man and truly divine. So we see that Jesus' humanity, that's pretty evident in this Old Testament verse. He says, against the man. But where do we see Jesus' divinity? This, this isn't so obvious here. This takes a little bit of digging. The text goes on to say, who is my associate, right? So against the man who is my associate. That word associate, it, 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 it's a noun in the Hebrew, it's amit. And it means my fellow, the picture is a, it's a very unique fellowship between God the Father and the Good Shepherd here. They are connected together in unity. They, they, are, it's of the, they are the same essence. They have the same, sub, really the same substance. They are, uh, really they're equal. And to be equal with God, that means that the Good Shepherd must actually be God. So Jesus, he reiterates to the disciples his humanity and his divinity. Zechariah continues here. He says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The most remarkable thing about really verse 7 and if you read to verse 9 is that they describe God the Father. He's the one striking the shepherd. It's God the Father doing that. Now this is not an isolated case in Scripture. Isaiah gives us the same picture here in Isaiah 53. So yet he himself so he, Jesus, he himself, he bore our sickness, he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken. We regarded him struck down by God and afflicted. See we thought that he did something wrong. Verse 6, we all went astray like sheep, we've all turned to our own way. And the Lord, that's Yahweh there, he's the one that punished him. He's the one that punished Jesus for the iniquity of us all. He goes on to verse 10, and yet the Lord, that's Yahweh, that's God the Father, the Lord was pleased to crush him, that's Jesus, severely. So dear friends, make no doubt about that. This was God's plan all along, that, that God must punish and crush Himself in His own humanity. This promise goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. So let, let, me, let me ask you this. Is the Good Shepherd, is He guilty of anything? No. Does, does, God the prob, uh, does God the Father have a problem with the Good Shepherd at all, at any level? No. no. See, the problem is with the sheep, right? And and if you go on to read the rest of that Zechariah passage, it's the flock that has the problem. It's the flock that has to be refined. So the fire's got to be cranked up. They got to be tested like gold. Then why does God strike the good shepherd as the Messiah instead of the sheep? Why would God the Father strike an innocent man if the problem is, is over here? Well, because it's the role of a shepherd to suffer with the flock despite his innocence. Zechariah continues the sheep will be scattered. The sheep, they are the disciples. We'll, hear, we'll see that here in a moment. And then he says, I will turn my hand against the little ones. So, in other words, even the common, everyday, ordinary Jewish people, they're going to suffer because of Israel's national rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. So, let's, let's bring it back here to Mark's Gospel, verse 27. Jesus said to them, all of you will fall away. Fall away there, um, scandalizo, it just, it, it, we get our English word scandal. This is a scandal. It, it, Jesus is communicating a very spiritual, a very serious spiritual failure. Um, every disciple will desert Jesus, every single one. And even though it's temporary, this is sobering. This is significant, and we're going to get to that here in a moment. Verse 28, Jesus says, But after I have risen, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. So, Jesus gets back to the main point at hand. He's talking about His death and His resurrection. Although Jesus has taught the disciples about His death and His resurrection, many, many times they they have never understood it. They still don't understand it as He's saying this. And if you don't understand something... You can't obey it, right? So the disciples, they never obeyed this order by Jesus to meet him in Galilee after the resurrection. Well, verse 29, Peter steps in. He says, Hey, Jesus, even if everyone else falls away, mm-mm, not me. I'm your guy, Jesus, right? Typical Peter. It's like Peter interrupts Jesus. Jesus is, is he's providing critical instruction on what to do and, and what to do and how to do it after the resurrection, and Peter just jumps in and cuts Jesus off. He starts to talk over Jesus. Uh, the important thing to note here is that this is the second time that Jesus tells the disciples they're going to fall away. The first time was before the Passover Supper, and we learn this from, from Luke's Gospel, Jesus says this in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. So note that Jesus calls Peter Simon in this verse. He calls him Simon because he's not acting like the rock. He's acting like his old self. So Peter's focus is on Peter, right? Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. So in other words, Jesus is saying, look, Satan, or Peter, Satan is after you and he's going to shake you violently. All of you guys. And you're all going to fall. Luke goes on, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So Jesus prays for the disciples. He prays for Peter. Now a couple things to note here. Satan has asked permission from Jesus to do this. Satan doesn't act on his own authority. Satan is the devil, but make no doubt about it, he is God's devil. I think Luther said that, is that right? But notice this, Jesus says yes to Satan's request. Jesus didn't say, no, you can't have him. He says, no, I've prayed for you. So make no doubt about it, guys, you're going to be sifted. So we've got some some life lessons heard uh, here. Does that disturb you guys? (laughs) That Jesus said yes to Satan? I mean, where else in Scripture does God say yes to Satan's request? Ooh, Job. I love you guys. Job, absolutely. Chapter 1 verse 6, one day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. And then the Lord asked Satan, he says, where have you come from? Eh, I just come from roaming around on the earth. I'm just walking around on it. Then the Lord said this to Satan. He said, have you considered my servant Job? Oh my In other words, why don't you give Job your best shot? God said that to Satan. Satan did not ask that from God. Now, why would a good, good father tell Satan to have at Job? Why on earth would he do that? Answer, because if it weren't for the testing and the trials in our life, or in his life, Job wouldn't be able to say things like Job 13, 15. He said, even if he kills me, I'm going to place my hope in him. At the very end, the last chapter, Job 42, 5, Job says, you know, I've heard reports about you, God, but now my eyes have seen you. I've seen you. So in other words, without the trials, Job would have never experienced God as he did. And that's exactly how Jesus is preparing the disciples at this moment. But yet, Peter's not listening. Verse 29, Peter said, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. So this is the second time Jesus has said that. Peter doesn't like the sound of truth because what Jesus just said, it's not in Peter's plan. He's not planning on betraying Jesus, And because it's not in, in Peter's plans, he's going to object. He tells Jesus that he's wrong. Peter is telling Jesus that Jesus better get on Peter's plan. Y'all you, you laugh like you've never done that yourself. Peter, is he's, he's not shocked that some of the disciples might fall away. But Peter, never. No. I mean, maybe Peter even expects some of his, his friends to turn into cowards. But not Peter. I mean, Peter doesn't even defend his friends. Who he defends is, his, is himself, his cause. Peter is the exception to the rule here. So as Peter is ranting and raving about what a faithful man of God he is, Jesus now interrupts Peter, and he gives him a dose of reality. Jesus says, mm-mm, Peter, look, truly I tell you, today, this very night, in fact, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, <laughs> three times. Dang. In other words, Peter, your your denial, it's not only certain, it's inevitable. This is going to happen before sunrise. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but it's, it's one thing to betray someone once, or even twice, but three times. And what's amazing is that previously, Jesus called this man the rock. He said... Peter, you're the guy I'm going to build my church on. Peter is, is Jesus' right hand guy. He's the teacher's pet. So, what's that tell you? What's that, tell, what's that say to me? It tells me, I'll tell you what it tells me. It tells me it's one thing for me to be up here behind this pulpit teaching the Word of God with boldness, but my, oh my. I better be very, very careful when I step out into the world because if Peter can crumble, then so can I. Verse 31, he kept insisting. He says, if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never, circle that word never, I will never deny you. And then they all said the same thing. So, Peter is not convinced here. (laughs) Even after Jesus gave him a detailed inventory of of what's about to happen over the next several hours. Peter's not going to be persuaded, even by God himself. So we have some big lessons here. Um, You know, we can sing these beautiful lyrics to God. We can worship God in the safety of our church service. Or we can say that Jesus is Lord during our quiet time. But wow, How quickly, how quickly things can change when there's just a little opposition. Even when there's no threat of violence whatsoever. You just have someone politely disagreeing with you. You're sharing the gospel, you're sharing your story, maybe they start to laugh at you or they point at you. And wow, how quickly our faith turns into fear or embarrassment, and we just shut down. We've talked a lot about this during our our three circles evangelism training. So Peter, he's getting ready to find out all of this out firsthand. Really, he's going to cave in just a few short hours uh, in the presence of of a servant girl who calls him out. So key point number one, Peter didn't know how weak he truly was until he was tested. And nor do we. Peter didn't know how weak he truly was, and nor do we. That's why we must go through these trials. We must be tested, tri- tested and tried again and again and again and again. And, and what's really scary is that the ten disciples, they're going to desert Jesus. One's already left, but not Peter. Peter has the greatest sin here. Peter, den- Peter denies that he even knows Jesus three times the rest of the guys just ran off. Peter's the one who curses his name. So how serious is denying the Lord Jesus Christ? How serious is Peter's actions? Jesus says this in Matthew 10:33. He says, "Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven." Mark chapter 8 verse 38, he says, "For Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So it doesn't get any more serious than that. Peter really is is walking with Judas at this point. Verse 31, Peter keeps insisting Jesus if I have to die with you I will never deny you. And then they all said the same thing. So, circle that word all. Jesus said in verse 27, all of you will do this. All of them are saying, no, we're not. We're going to die with you. So, the bravado in the room, it, it reaches an all-time high as the disciples now, they start to join Peter's rant here. Now, look, I'm I'm being kind of hard on Peter. In in all fairness, Peter's rant, it's not an idle boast. Um, In just a few hours, Peter's going to grab a sword, and he's going to defend Jesus. Peter charges the guards, he tries to protect him. Peter lunges for the guard's throat and somehow misses and cuts off the ear. What's that tell you? Besides the fact that Peter needs to work on some self-defense training. it tells us they were ready to die. They were ready to save Jesus' life. But guys, here's the problem. Jesus did not want his life saved. Jesus is the Lamb of God. His time has come. And at this point, Peter and the disciples, they're starting to wear Jesus out. So Jesus refuses to argue any longer because he knows what's getting ready to happen. And all you have to do is skim over at verse 50, and it's absolutely true. They all deserted him, and they ran away. So story is really a powerful reminder for us this morning, to remember how flawed and and how scared these these men truly were at times. Because I, I really think it's easy to put these men on pedestals, to think of them as, as super saints, super Christians. We can make an idol out of them. But the reality is that the disciples, just like you and I, have a bad case of the normals. They're just like us. These men all struggle with their faith. Now, the disciples, they don't lose their faith, but they are overcome with temporary fear. Their inward fear, it reveals itself by their outward actions. So key point number two, your behavior reveals what you truly believe about God. Your behavior reveals what you truly believe about God. So the disciples, they outwardly forsake Jesus. They all run away. They're all deserters. They've all gone AWOL. Just a few hours prior, Jesus was giving them a lesson on humility because they were fighting over who's going to be the greatest. And then after that lesson, they all sang that song, His Faithful Love Endures Forever. So we see persistent pride in the lives of these men, and we also see their faith. We see persistent fear mixed into their faith. They've got a bad case of the normals. And really that leads me to the the underlying theme of this whole message, which is really fear. I mentioned a while back that something has clicked when it comes to the depravity of mankind over the past year and a half. COVID has ushered really a new chapter into the human life, human depravity. Um, obviously, it impacts the entire globe. No other generation has ever experienced anything like what we've, we've seen over the past year and a half. And it's important to note, I'm not talking about the virus. I'm talking about the fear and the anger and the frustration and the division resulting from the virus. We're never going to go back to the pre-COVID days. We're never going to go back to life as usual. Because that thing that clicked is God's judgment on the earth. We're being judged. We've moved into a, a new dispensation. Dispensation, that's how God deals with mankind at certain times. And it's obvious that we've entered into this this dispensation of judgment. Mankind is being judged for its sin against a holy God. This judgment has brought on a a new level of, of fear worldwide. So I just want to go back to the key point that I shared with you just moments ago. Your behavior reveals what you truly believe about God. The disciples in our text today, they talked a really big game. But when push came to shove, they failed. And they failed because they allowed fear to overwhelm them. Fear is not having the faith that Jesus will deliver you. And yet, Jesus has already delivered you through the cross. See, fear overwhelms us because we're, we're putting our faith in ourselves or we put our our faith in medicine or politicians or education rather than the one true living God. All the disciples, they deserted Jesus because they placed their faith in themselves at that moment. And dear friends, if you're struggling with overwhelming, all-consuming fear, let me ask you this. I'm not talking about temporary fear. All right, That's a bad case of the normals. You can push on through that. But if you're struggling with the worldwide events and you are living in a complete state of fear, there's two questions I want you to ask the Lord. Number 1, why am I so fearful? Why? What is the root cause of this ongoing fear? Am I scared am I scared to get sick? Is that why I'm so scared? Is it the thought of physical pain? Is it the thought that I'm not able to breathe if I get COVID? Is it because I'm not going to have enough food or even toilet paper? (laughs) You guys remember those days, right? That was just a few months ago, people fighting over toilet paper. (laughs) Wow. Am I scared because of the inflation that's happening? Am I scared about my retirement, that I'm not going to have enough? Am I fearful that my spouse is getting ready to die and I'm going to die and I'm going to be alone? Dear friends, I would say that all of those things are legitimate things that cause fear, but they're still surface level issues. Because when you go to the Lord and you ask Him this question about your fear, prayerfully He's going to pull your the, the veneer back, right? Spiritual scales will fall off your eyes. And I'm guessing that, that one of the reasons the, the whole world is, is fearful and angry right now is because of the thought that we're all going to meet Jesus face-to-face on Judgment Day. And if you, look, if you guys know that you're a child of God, please hear me loud and clear. There's nothing to fear. You've got nothing to fear. No thing. Nada. And the reason why is because He's your Savior. He is not your judge. Your sin has been judged on the cross. Right? you got nothing to fear. It is written in Romans 8.37. I love this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus, not of ourselves, who loved us. For I'm persuaded, so the Apostle Paul, he's, right, he's, he's saying, I am persuaded that neither death, I'm not scared to die, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor rulers. So you can write in politicians, you can write in government. It's what the text says. I'm not scared of these guys, nor things present. What's going on presently? COVID and mandatory vaccinations and inflation and then the thought of my religious freedom and, and all of these things. I'm not scared, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing that will be able to separate us from the love of God. You can't think. It's unthinkable. It doesn't matter what power is in heaven or what powers on earth. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. The question is, do you believe it? Now, it's easy for all of us in church to go, yeah, yeah I believe it. No, do you? Because just like the disciples, someone's going to push really hard up against you this week. If it's not this week, it could be next month or next year. And you're going to have a decision to make. Dear friends, you are His. And He is yours. And my prayer is that you're not living in this overwhelming state of fear that the world is. Because if you believe this text, then what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? You've got nothing to be fearful of because you've got the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. He lives inside of you. I do want to give you two practical thoughts here on how you may be unknowingly feeding fear. All right? Because there is a difference between checking the news and watching the news. You guys should already know what I'm getting ready to say. (laughs) I've already talked about it for the past two years. But really, the the more time that you spend in the world when you watch the news, you're listening to the radio, you're listening to talk radio, you're playing on social media, the more fearful you will become. And and here's the deal. That worldly fear, it's going to lead you to be ashamed of Christ. The more news that you watch the more you're gonna put your hope in these politicians. You're gonna put your hope in medicine, or education, or science, or you're just gonna start throwing more stuff at the television set, because you're angry. Right? I hear your conversations in the fellowship hall. How do we know this to be true? Because the Word of God says this in Psalm 1. Let me show you this. How happy, all in favor of happiness? How happy is the one who does not walk in in the advice of the wicked. Okay, question. Are you guys walking around? Are you driving around listening to worldly advice? The psalmist continues. Or stand in the pathway with sinners question, are you standing around arguing with people and their positions about politics? He continues, or are you sitting in the company of mockers? And this is the biggest one. How much time are you sitting with these TV personalities in your own home? Listening to them and their positions and their, their opinions. Guys, do you know that these people hate you like they hate you? They hate your life. They hate your belief system. They hate everything that you stand for. And we turn the TV on and we listen to them. We invite them into our home as if they're a guest and they stay talking for hours. Please notice that they are feeding you at this point. They're the ones renewing your mind. Notice the progression in Psalm 1. We've got walking, we've got standing, and now we've got sitting. Now we're spending our time with them. The psalmist continues. He says, "Instead, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction." Whose instruction? And he meditates on it day and night. So you don't even have time for the world. Meditating on the word of God day and night. Key point number three, and for those of you who are in our Wednesday night study, this will sound very familiar. You cannot stay where you are and walk with God at the same time. You cannot stay where you are and walk with God at the same time. And isn't that what Jesus is teaching the the disciples in our text today? If you leave the world on, you're going to be feeding your fear with more lies, and you're going to be starving your soul of truth. However, if you turn the idiot box off, and you open up the Word of God, just like Psalm 1 says, you're going to be feeding your soul with truth, and you're going to be starving the world of its lies. And yet, dear friends, you get to choose today who you're going to feed. Faith, fear, fear, faith. Peter was in the habit of telling Jesus what to do. That didn't work out so well for him. Is it going to work out well for you? The Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, give thanks to the Lord because his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, because his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, because his faithful love endures forever. Father, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for Allowing fear to overwhelm us. Forgive us for betraying you and walking away. The disciples represent all of us, Lord God. We have all done this. So, Lord, as we get ready to go back out into the world, I pray that as we've experienced you verse by verse, that we will now experience you day by day by by actually applying these things that you've taught us today. And that we will be a very, very bright light here in the Verde Valley. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.